Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. My name is Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader here at Niche. Today you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen on the go. You can find all the resources that are mentioned, as well as the original recording, on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy! Good afternoon to everybody. Good morning still to everyone out west. If you want to take a second here, grab some water, grab some tea or coffee. Uh, we'll let everyone, we've still got people rolling in. Uh, we'll get started. We're going to be going over some of the results of a year-long secret shopping project. Uh, so I'm really excited. Uh, it was an interesting undertaking, um, a little concerning in places too, in terms of the frequency of contacts, the lack of relevance, uh, some of the confusing things that came through. But uh, if you haven't seen the results yet, uh, we'll have a link to that in the follow-up. They'll come out tomorrow along with the recording, link to the podcast version, uh, and then some additional resources as well. So as we get started here, I thought we'd warm everybody up with a poll. Want to see where, where you are now. Do you currently have differentiated complos for underclass students? Or is it just seniors and then you just have a general junior flow for everybody, a general sophomore flow for everybody? Uh, are you really getting into that underclass outreach? We'll let that roll in here. Getting a lot of responses. I'll share the results of this uh, in the email tomorrow, so everyone will be able to see the results there. Okay, we've got good amount of responses. We'll close it now. I'll share those in the email that's coming out tomorrow. Okay, everybody. Just a reminder, this is being recorded. Uh, you'll get the recording usually about midday tomorrow. Uh, the, there'll be a podcast version as well. If you want to listen, that's in the Enrollment Insights podcast feed. You'll find a lot of great content there. Uh, or if you just want to listen to this after, absolutely fine. I know a lot of people enjoy it on their on their commutes or out walking the dog or going to the gym. You know, I'll answer questions that came in during the registration process first. We got quite a few of those in. Uh, but as you go through and you have questions, if you think of things, you want clarification, you want to pop in with your own thoughts, uh, feel free to drop those in the questions or chat tab. Usually loads on the right-hand side of your screen. Uh, we can get those in. I want to cover things in sort of two phases here today. The first being talking about sort of the benchmarking and results, adding a little context to what's already out there. Uh, and then phase two, really want to talk about what was good, what was bad, and where are the opportunities? That's that's the big one there, is where is there room for improvement? Where is there room for providing a better experience? If you haven't seen the results yet, uh, we have a QR code to it here as well as the link. Uh, you can snag that with your phone as you're, you're watching here. Um, overall, identified a set of 60 colleges uh, and filled out the inquiry forms on their site. Did try and go through any other resources, just wanted to see what that experience was like as a student. Uh, so it's a mixture, it's mostly colleges that I'd never done a secret shopping project with before, um, but there were 24 public four-year colleges, 24 private four-year colleges, and 12 two-year colleges. I really wanted to see what's the inquiry experience like and what's the full comm flow like for 365 days. Uh, provided email, phone with text opt-in, address, and parent contact if I was asked. Uh, so went through filled everything out consistently across all of them so we could compare apples to apples and want to see what this experience was like. So I want you to meet our secret shopper. This is David. Uh, he was a 16-year-old junior in June of 2022 when we went through and filled all these out with a 3.0 GPA. Undecided on major, we know that a lot of students are, uh, even if they feel like they have to fill out uh, a major, a lot of students aren't quite sure. So I wanted to see what that comp flow was like for undecided students. Uh, put down that he was not interested in athletics, wants to play trumpet in college, and interested in study abroad. World's opening back up. Let's see how colleges talk about study abroad now. So with that in mind, I want to talk about the inquiry experience first. Let's start off with those data and benchmarks. And this is your entry point, right? Your inquiry form. There are some improvements from the last time I did some secret shopping. And I liked seeing questions about career goals and preferred pronouns, even though they didn't seem to affect the comm flow. Uh, but hopefully in the future, they're building on that. Uh, but there were a lot of barriers in the process as well, unfortunately. 
Uh, depending on your source, the ideal number of questions on inquiry form are five to 10. Once you get above that, you start seeing lower completion rates. Uh, so keeping them shorter is better for sure. 37% of colleges included uh, really hit that 10 or fewer benchmark. So a little over a third uh, with two only having six questions, nice and tight, only asked what they needed to start off that, that communication and build that relationship. And then beyond that, you have supplemental forms or other things that can help add to that. Uh, overall, 62% of two-year colleges, 37% of public four years, and 29% of private four years hit the 10 or fewer mark. So two-year colleges were definitely doing the best job of keeping them short and simple. Uh, private colleges have a long way to go. Uh, of the four longest inquiry forms, so two of them had 24 questions, one had 25 questions, and then another with 32 questions. Uh, of those, half of them never responded to the inquiry. So the colleges that made me do the most work to fill out the form never even bothered responding to the student raising their hand and saying, I'm interested, I'd like more information. That, that was a big issue there. If you're going to have a really long inquiry form, it better be an awesome comp flow, right? It better be something that really is tailored and relevant. But if I felt 32 questions that are required on that form, and then you don't even bother responding to it, um, you know, that, that just feels like a slap in the face at that point. Uh, the biggest issue to call out here is that there were just a surprising number of colleges that didn't even have an inquiry form that could be found even with site search. Uh, so there's one college, though, I did have to do a Google search. And I found the inquiry form finally, but even site search couldn't find it. So there's a problem. These students want to ask questions. They want to inquire. They want to enter your ComFlow, and yet making it very difficult. The majority of colleges put up barriers to the inquiry process, and it wasn't as easy as it should have been. So only 47% made it easy to ask for information. You know, if a student is being is interested in saying, I'm interested, I have questions, let's make that easy for them. Uh, while not site-wide, a little over half of colleges did have the inquiry form on their homepage, so that's a nice improvement over last time, uh, but still it should be absolutely everybody. Um, but five colleges only allowed seniors to inquire. So a junior, a sophomore who was interested could not inquire. They couldn't say, hey, I'd like more information. Nine colleges had no inquiry form at all. They either had to call, visit, or apply. Only options. Uh, and then four of them required site search just to find the inquiry form. It wasn't on admissions pages. It wasn't on, uh, on the homepage. I don't know why. I'm not sure what was going on there that made it so difficult to find. Um, there was one odd one too, uh, where instead of inquire or request information, sort of those typical, uh, typical CTAs, it was activate your account. And I'm not sure why students would know to do that, uh, but make it, make it plain English, make it easy for them. Really an inquiry is just that, it's a question, it's a request. And so if you can't respond personally to them, and I really doubt most people have the staffing to do that, an autoresponder should be set up to provide a relevant response to them. But only 67% of colleges used an autoresponder. So with that, these are students who fill out the form and they should immediately get some sort of response, acknowledging them, providing information, but just over two thirds of two-year colleges did, 79% of private four-year colleges and only half of the public four years did. Uh, so I, I think that's, we'll get into this a little bit later, but that's a big opportunity. You know, having that autoresponder set up so that when someone fills out an inquiry form, they receive that immediate response. So they know it went through and sort of here's your next step even if you can't provide the most relevant information immediately, provide them something. Let them know that you hear them. Let them know what they should do, how they can learn more. All right, how are we talking to juniors? And are we really just talking at them? I think that happened a lot throughout this process. So of these 60 colleges that were identified, only 46 had functional inquiry forms. And of those 46 forms filled out, only 43 bothered responding. Uh, that was that was a little frustrating. Uh, you know, think about the student experience. They say, I'm interested in your college, and you ignore them. If we put this in terms of real life, if you're at a college fair and a student comes up, says, hey, I'd like to learn more about the college, do you just stare at them or do you respond? Right? That, there's, there's a miss there. 
giving you the breakdown here of that of that process of the 24 public four years, only 16 um, were included as responding. Of the 24 privates, 22 responded, and of the 12 two-year colleges, only five did. So a little bit limited there uh, in terms of the responses. So what all was sent? Overall, and these numbers are enormous, this is one year just as a junior, 961 emails from all 43 colleges. So it drops off significantly. Then 68 postcards uh, from 23 colleges. The postcards, you know, I, I see the appeal of them. They're cheap mail, but there was rarely any value. It was usually just essentially taking a email and turning it into postcard form. Uh, there were 19 view books sent from 14 colleges, 13 fold-out mails, mailers sent from seven colleges. That would be your bifolds, your trifolds, uh, just providing more information, but not full view book. Uh, 11 letters, and there was they were almost all sort of your form letter, printed envelope, all that. Uh, there were no personalized, customized mail sent. Uh, there were seven phone calls from four colleges. Uh, really, though, it was mostly from just one. Uh, so that was, you know, that was a, a nice touch point there. Uh, they were primarily used by two-year institutions. Uh, and then five pieces of swag from four colleges, primarily stickers, but then one Frisbee as well uh, with just a, a, a QR code on it. Uh, it had, you know, that was something that stood out, really. So with all that volume, it breaks down to one touch point per college every 12 days. But almost half sent more than one a week and one average two per week, which was really too much. I mean, these are juniors. They're starting the process, sure. They're asking for information, but that that feels like way too much. Uh, no matter what, these touch points need to be relevant to students, no matter how frequent they are. And the more often you're reaching out, the better they have to be. So if those if those emails are coming every other week, every week, hopefully not a couple times a week, you know that's where it really has to be providing great information to actually be meaningful. And why? Well, this is from our, our junior survey that came out this spring. Only 15% of students said they were receiving very personalized and relevant information from colleges. 22% said that everything looked and sounded the same. And I can tell you, especially with visit emails, that is absolutely true. Uh, you know, there's a lot of information that is not differentiated. It's not saying, here's what makes us different. It's merely saying, take this action. You know, there, there's a, a miss there. Um, and, and we'll get into that a little bit, but it's very important to be relevant. So when we talk about relevance, 81% of touch points received had no high value content, 81%. There were three interests listed, you know, the major, the extracurricular, the study abroad. And then I measured two more high value pieces, looking for student stories, looking for reviews, third party content. What are the things that are showing what that experience is like, what others say about you, providing that relevant information about the major the student, stu the student is interested in, the extracurriculars they say they want to participate in, in this case, the study abroad interests. There were five opportunities uh, to provide some touch point that really spoke to David. And yet 81% of all the touch points had none of it. Big, big miss there. Uh, in terms of the major, only three colleges spoke to the undecided program, undecided major. How do, we, how do we help you find that major? What does it look like here? Uh, 18 colleges include information about other programs. Um, I got a lot pushing their engineering programs. I don't know what that connection is, um, but we had a lot of that. So a student says, I'm interested in this, and instead got information about a different program. Uh, four colleges, while they didn't address, they did include a link to a major quiz, You know, something that would help the student find their way. And that's helpful but it doesn't quite answer that. What does it look like for me coming in undecided? So room for improvement there. In terms of that music interest, wanting to play trumpet, only two colleges send information about the band. Another two send information about theater. I'm not quite sure why there. Uh, and six send information about participating in athletics, uh, including the diving team, the football team, uh, a really confusing one on women's basketball. Uh, there, there's, you know, if a student says they're not interested in athletics and is interested in trumpet, they should be receiving information about band, right? They shouldn't be in, receiving information about diving. And if 
they're a male inquiry, they shouldn't be receiving information about playing for the women's basketball team. Um, and then on the study abroad interest, only three colleges sent information about what it's like to stay abroad. This is a student saying, I want to travel. I want to stay abroad while I'm enrolled there. And it was just largely ignored. So I think with all the questions on inquiry form, there needs to be a plan to use them, but especially these types of things where a student is telling you exactly what they want to know about, absolutely has to be included. Uh, for those other two high value pieces, the student stories, 9% of all touch points include a student story. Uh, 29 colleges use them, so a lot more, a lot more usage there. Uh, it was most often used by two-year colleges where 29% of their touch points including a student story. Uh, there was one college that did, I think, a really good job where pretty much every email they sent was a student talking about how they are in their career now or what they're experiencing, how they got to where they are and the support they were experiencing. It was tying in the same types of questions students ask and the things they need to know about, but all framed through a student speaking. Uh, that was really well done. Uh, the reviews and third-party touch points were only included in 7% of emails. Uh, so that'd be your rankings, student reviews, um, you know, here's, here's what this other person is saying about us. We got featured in X. Uh, 28 colleges did this. Uh, it was most used by four-year colleges with 8% of their touch points, so not big variation there. But big opportunity to have someone else say, you're great at this thing. You know, there there's a need there. Uh, when we categorize the touch points, I want to follow the three P's. And if you're not familiar with that, there's a framework for planning that I learned from Tom Voller-Burdan at CSBSJU. Uh, there's a podcast episode if you want to hear his take on it, but it's a great way about thinking of your outreach. Uh, so in terms of the three P's, it's promotional. So promotional is information about your marketing intent, right? It's informational. Here's what we're great at. Here's who we are, that sort of thing. Uh, there's personalized and relevant. So it's speaking to what students care about and find the right message at the right time. So it's that major, it's that academic, that athletic interest, that extracurricular interest, but also in the framework of the right message at the right time. So not telling a junior to apply, which I got a number of those, uh, you know, telling me to start in the spring semester of my junior year, which couldn't do, obviously. Uh, so there's things like that, that it's missing that relevance piece. Uh, and then there's the process. So it's speaking to an action that needs to be taken for the college, whether that's a visit, which in this case was almost all the process emails, um, apply, you know, sign up for this summer event, things like that. Uh, and then I had to unfortunately add a fourth P in this case, which is pointless. The ones that had no clear purpose, no call to action, you know, they would do things like, hey, we'll be in touch in two weeks. If you can craft that email, you can craft an email giving some information, right? Or, hey, just checking in, but there's no CTA, there's no reason to respond, That there, there's a miss there. So I think ideally we'd have a 40-40-20 split. That's not what we saw. 50% of all the touch points were process touch points. 28% uh, were promotional, and then 17% personalized and relevant, and only 5% pointless. Still too much, though. It should be zero. Uh, if we look at the breakdown based on who was sending these and what their individual breakdowns were, this goal of 40-40-20, in reality, we see how it breaks down. Two-year colleges did the best job of providing personalized and relevant. Um, you know, there, there's an interesting bit there. And we look at the, uh, the promotional very, very heavily uh, on the private four-year side. Uh, process-based, though. When we look at four-year colleges, way, way, way too much process. If all you have to say over and over again is visit, 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 it's missing the mark. Like, students know they can visit. They need to know why they should visit. Uh, and you're also hearing the, the fun of having a new puppy in a house and while you're working at home. Uh, so, so I hope everyone can smile at the noise there. Uh, let's look at some institutional benchmarks. Let's look at what it looks like when we break it down based on the type. So for two-year community, this is this is community and uh, career technical colleges. Uh, I, I did a, a mixture there. Um, 
when we look at just overall average of touch points, the average was 14 touch points over a comflow of 154 days. They had a much shorter comflow. Uh, you know, some of those because they didn't start for a while, some because they cut off after a while, which seems very reasonable. If the student isn't engaging, you don't need to keep sending them information forever. Um, it, it comes out to about one touch point every other week per college, uh, 12 emails, one phone call, no parent touch points, um, and then two requests to visit. So very reasonable there. Two requests over the comm flow feels good. We get to a public four year. We move up to 23 touch points over 297 days or one touch point every other week. You know, still, okay, that, that might be a little high yet, but no problem. Uh, it included 18 emails on average, one postcard, one letter, one view book, one foldout mailer, one parent touch point, uh, and nine requests to visit. That's getting a little excessive, uh, where almost half of all outreach was telling them to visit, 39% there. And you know, that that's that's getting up there. Then we get to the four-year private colleges, 37 touch points over 346 days. So one touch point every nine days, uh, 28 emails, three postcards, a letter, a view book, fold-out mailer, three parent touch points, and 16 requests to visit. That's that's getting excessive. Uh, one college uh, that had 71 touch points total, 52 of them were telling David to visit. So 52 times, all they had to say was visit, visit, visit. That got incredibly frustrating, uh, especially because the visit emails basically all look the same and they're not very well done. And when you get that 52 times, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what, what the appeal there is. All right, a lot of questions came in about email frequency specifically. So I wanted to do a little bit of a deeper dive into email, um, you know, 22 per college was the average. Uh, one every two weeks was that frequency. Um, 10 colleges sent less than one a month. You know, that's that's feels okay. Probably not super high frequency, but if they're relevant, no problem. Uh, 17 colleges sent one to two a month. 14 sent two to four. So they were looking at weekly to every other week. Um, two colleges sent more than one email a week way, way, way too often, especially for a junior that hasn't visited, they've only asked for information, that was just too much. 72% um, of them use David's name. So even that easiest part of doing a merge, of including that personalization, that is the base level, only 72% of emails did the bare minimum. Uh, and only 18% of emails were relevant to interests. If you have a CRM, it is incredibly easy to have emails that are very, very personalized because you know all that information right there when you're pulling in for the email. You can do all this, and yet it just didn't happen. If you're wondering you know, who sent these emails, uh, as I'm sure you might be, there was some good improvement this year. Uh, this isn't necessarily who signed the body of the email, but who shows up in the inbox and helps determine whether or not the student is even going to open the email. Do they know the person? Do they know the institution? 48% came from office of whatever. So office of admissions, office of athletics, things like that, office of financial aid. 38% emails came from the university. 6% uh, came from a counselor. You know, I think once there's a relationship between the student and the counselor, that number should be much higher. Honestly, since this is a student who has never spoken to a counselor, I, I would say that it doesn't really make a lot of sense to come from a counselor or leadership because the student doesn't know them yet. It's just a name in an inbox and there's not that awareness. Now, if it instead was will at niche, you know, okay, there's that connecting who and what, even if they haven't spoken to them, there's at least something there. But a lot of times it was just Jim Smith. Well, okay, I don't know who Jim Smith is, why should I open this? 2% uh, of them came from a third party. That's where we get into other companies sending it on, on their behalf. 0.4% uh, came from a CMS string. I'm so glad that number's down. Um, you know, where you have just the string of letters and numbers at university.edu. Um, I'm glad to see that's down because that was much higher last time I, I did this. And then 0.1% came from the mascot. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, that was fun to see, you know, it, it's a different way of showing up, talking about your school spirit, talking about your culture, 
when the email comes from the mascot. All right, let's look at the good, the bad, and the opportunities. This is phase two. Where are those opportunities for improvement? We'll cover the good first. I, I'm going to start out on a positive. Overall, when we look at this, emails are better than they were a few years ago. That that's that's very good. I'm I'm very pleased about that. Uh, more colleges are asking for parent contact information up front as well. I know that's something that when I talk about parents, this comes up a lot of, well, how are we supposed to talk to parents? You know, one, ask about it on the inquiry form. Ask about it in a supplemental form. I, I would argue that's better because it keeps the inquiry form shorter and the students who want their parents to receive information can opt in later. You know, not a problem. But that is that is up quite a bit. Uh, the print pieces I received were well designed. You know, the, it, it's not cheap work. So great job to the, to the enrollment marketing offices out there. Great job to the agencies. Uh, 13 colleges shared college prep guides, both to the student and to the parents. That was nice because I really believe underclass flows should lean very heavily on what is the value to the student? What is the value to the parent? How are we teaching them about the college search process? Maybe not necessarily leaning 100% on our institution, but how do you navigate the application process, the final financial aid process, uh, just looking at, di at different schools and comparing them. Having that guide was a nice touch. It was something that showed that they care about the process and not just getting that student to that school. Uh, 12 colleges sent information about pre-college and summer programs. Very, very relevant for juniors. It's a great entry point, gets them on campus, and that has that clear why. You know, there's a clear value to the student to come and attend that. Uh, and then six colleges had these very transparent pieces about how admissions decisions were made. So looking at, you know, here's what we're looking at. Here's how you can prepare, prepare for college. Here's the things that you should be doing now. I appreciate that. It, was, it wasn't this, well, generally, you should be taking these types of things. It's, here's what we're looking for. Here's how we evaluate applications. Here's what we, how we read an essay. Big thumbs up there. The not so good. Uh, the first one I touched on already, only 46 colleges had a functioning inquiry form. It should have been 60. It should be 60 out of 60. You should have an inquiry form. It should be ideally on every page of your site because every page can be an entry point. Uh, at a bare minimum, have it on your homepage or admissions pages, but have that inquiry form available. Uh, autoresponders rarely responded to the inquiry. If someone inquires, they're asking a question. They want to know more. They, they, you know, that that's the bare, that's the definition, right? If someone inquires, they're asking. So having something that instead just says, you can visit, you can apply, that's not a great inquiry form at that point, uh, autoresponder at that point, because if the student wanted to apply or visit, they would have done that. Instead, they're asking for more information. I think in a perfect world, you clone your inquiry form, and so you have a different inquiry form and autoresponder for, you know, your biology program than you do for your business program, for your financial aid page than you do for your admissions page. You know, you're speaking to, first and foremost, where they filled out the form, because then you know, here's what triggered them, right? They were on this page, something on that page made them want to ask a question. Okay, let's get in front of them with that response first and then get them into the rest of our flow. Uh, most of the touch points just had too little value to the student. They very much leaned on, let's let's focus on what we want them to do. We want them to visit. We want them to uh, know all about why we're great. You know, instead it wasn't, hey, here's you know that college guide. This will help you in these ways. Uh, here's what you should be thinking about for financial aid. It's a big stressful time. We're going to help guide you. Uh, or you know, choosing a major is challenging. Here's considerations. Here's what we do to help support you, not just in finding a major, but thriving in that major, finding a career. There's a lot that can be done to really speak to that uh, and just unfortunately rarely happened. Uh, and then most visit emails really looked alike. Um, you could you could put, pull up two side by side, cover up the name and not know who they were because they, they were just almost cookie cutter. Um, if you want someone to visit, don't tell them that they can visit. Tell them why they should visit. Get them excited. Make it something that stands out. 
just saying, and, and here's an example, uh, you know, dear David, if you're considering unique university, this is the program for you. You're invited to totally unique preview day on August 1st, the best open house you'll experience. And then the bulleted list of learn about the student experience, hear about our world-class faculty and academic programs, get a campus tour, even eat in our dining hall. I don't know why, almost every single visit email had that as the last bullet point, as if it was this once in a lifetime opportunity. Uh, and yet in our, our survey of students and their visit experiences, that was one of the things they were least interested in. They didn't really care about dining on campus, and yet that was something that was in every single visit email of, here's why you should visit, come eat in our dining hall. The students don't care. Uh, you know, and before you say, well, this is just generic, this was, this is actually an email from a college. I just changed the name of the event and the university, but this is exactly what students are receiving. So uh, it, it's not telling them what gets them excited. It's not speaking to them. Uh, here's some opportunities. You know, 22% of inquiry forms required a birthday. And I get that in a lot of cases that was because of deduping. Um, but there's an opportunity there. And I use this as an example. 19% of them then send a birthday card. If I'm required to fill out um, the the birthday on there, why not send a birthday card? Why not send something, do something for the birthday if I have to fill it out anyway? And that goes for every other field on there. Uh, so if I'm filling out and I say, if you're asking about my um, athletic interests, you better respond to that. If you're asking about parents, you better send stuff to the parents. Um, touched on this a little bit, but really tailor the response to what was asked and where. So if a student is filling out the form on a, um, on a financial aid page, first and foremost, respond with financial aid information. First and foremost, answer that question. Um, really tailor your responses there. Uh, you can really insert their interests into other emails as well. So you don't have to just have a major specific email in your Comflow. Weave it throughout so your visit email can speak to the major they're interested in. You know, your financial aid programs, you know, that email can speak to, uh, you know, how, how it works if you're also participating in athletics or band. You know, we know it'll be a little harder to to work on campus, so here's what you can do. You know, you don't have to just have these standalones, combine things in your emails. Um, focus on what the student needs and wants and not your own goals. That happened a lot. You know, we want you to visit, we want you to take this action, do this, do this, do this. And what mattered to the student was forgotten. You know, here's what they need, here's their fears, here's the things they're excited about. It just got missed in all this. So really the comp flow has to be rethought of as what the students want. Uh, there's just not enough focus on why they should care, why your institution should earn their interest, earn their application eventually. Um, you know, not just visit. We have this program. We have, you know, all these things. Instead, it needs to focus on the why, why the student should care, why they should be excited about your campus dining why they should be excited about visiting and connecting with current students. Um, provide a sense of place. We saw this a little bit in some of the print pieces, but there just wasn't enough of it through storytelling, through photos and emails and other places. You know, each campus is gonna look and feel different. So I think there's a big, big opportunity there to really showcase that throughout your Comflow. Having those mental images then will help the students remember who you are. Uh, if you don't have anything to say, it's okay to be quiet. You know, you don't have to send an email, send a mail every week, every other week. If there's nothing to say that week, give them time off. You know, let's send less, but more value when we do. They're not going to completely forget you exist if they don't hear from you for a few weeks. Instead, have really, really valuable content that makes them excited, that helps them remember you. Um, and then approach cost and financial aid with underclass students. A few colleges did this but we know it's such a barrier and such a stressor that the sooner you can include that in your comp flows, the better off you'll be. You know, if, if they start feeling comfortable, okay, this is very affordable. Here's the steps I take at this university or for college in general, you know, let's take that stressor off the plate early. And I know some, sometimes people are just afraid to broach the subject. Let's get it out of the way. Let's talk about it upfront. Let's address it head on. 
and don't let students get sort of misinformed. All right, if you have questions, we have a couple in here uh, already, but we had submitted questions come in. Um, drop your questions in the chat. We'll get to those in just a minute. I wanna get through uh, the submitted questions here first. All right, several versions of this question came in from Kyle, Lisa, Angela, and Tom. Uh, how do we know how much communication is too much and how early is too early to start marketing to juniors? In terms of how much is too much, I think it's going to depend on your own data, right? There is no one size fits all. I know that's what everyone wants, but let's look at some of the metrics that matter here. Uh, you can check your click to open rate. That's the CTOR. So what percentage of recipients who open email engage with it? Uh, if you're seeing, you know, the, the students who open the first email have a 25% click to open, but then you're sending weekly emails and two weeks later, it's 10%, you're probably sending too much then. They're not really continuing to engage. Uh, look at the unsubscribe rate. So percentage of users who open email and unsubscribe. You know, the more frequently you email, the more likely they are to unsubscribe. They get tired of it. Uh, look at your conversion rates. So use UTM if you need help there. We've got a great guide back on the blog, uh, but UTM is a way of tracking uh, link clicks essentially back to your website. Um, so use that to track student behaviors after they go back to your website and then take valuable actions. You know, are you seeing that students are, you're sending all these emails and they just aren't driving the behaviors you want? Okay, let's rethink it, pull back and provide more value with it. Uh, the response rate, how many people respond to an email or a phone call, a letter, whatever? Are they calling you back? Are they answering the phone? Are they emailing you back? Uh, that's something that, that's important there as well. Uh, and then lift. Uh, so after you try out an outreach, how did that engagement compare to what was expected? So let's say that you typically in August um, see a certain number of visits scheduled. You send out a postcard, you get 5% more. You send out two postcards, you get 6% more. Well, okay, you didn't really need that second one. Let's just focus on where we can find that ideal fit. And this takes some experimentation, it takes some time, uh, but it's very valuable. Now, in terms of the how early is too early to start, uh, this is from the upcoming senior enrollment survey. It'll be coming out early September. Um, you know, this freshman year earlier, we, we asked the enrolling class when they started actively searching, not when they started receiving information, because that's much earlier, but when did they start actively searching? You know, the search is starting later than in the past, we know, but this is the active search here. Um, and I would argue that when a student inquires, they are in active search mode. So if they are inquiring, treat them as active searcher regardless. But for prospects, you know, not a lot of students are starting before their, their junior year. Uh, when we look at just summer before senior year, so after they're done with their junior year, that's when the majority of them start. So you're still... I wouldn't say that everyone has to have this well-built out sophomore comp flow, but you do need to be able to respond to a sophomore who inquires. Uh, you do need to be able to respond to a fall junior who inquires, right? Don't forget to build mental availability. That's very different than these action-based marketing campaigns. You need to have that name top of mind, but that's not the same thing as sending 20 emails, two postcards, a letter, that's not necessarily doing anything for you in terms of just building name recognition. Uh, it's costing you a lot of money, but there's better ways to do that. All right, this question comes from Brad. How do juniors like to be communicated with? Uh, from our junior survey we put out back in the spring, I'll put a link to that in the follow-up email. Across every channel this year, students were less interested in hearing directly from colleges. Uh, there were declines in every channel uh, but the three that were still most effective are email, mail, and text. Even though text dropped significantly, uh, the majority of them just do not want weekly outreach, though, in general. Um, most students also said they do not want to receive phone calls or video chats. Now, you know, if a student on your forum says, yes, that's the best way to reach me, absolutely. But don't plan that as a key part of your, your tactic. Um, the acceptability. So we also asked them, how acceptable is it for a college to email you weekly, send you mail weekly, whatever. Um, the acceptability of weekly emails declined from 81% to 45% over the past, four, past two years. 
So majority of juniors say is not acceptable for a college to email them weekly. So keep that in mind. Uh, weekly mailings dropped from 55% to 27%. So only just over a quarter of juniors say it's acceptable to receive weekly mail. So space these things out. You know, you don't need to be bombarding them with information. All right. How do juniors feel about print pieces? Do they help to build affinity and are they worth the spend? Great question from Nikki, a very valid one, I think. Uh, again, this is data from the junior survey. Um, they do uh, provide some value, they are, but if that mail is valuable and relevant, is it sharing a story? Is it doing something that plays better in print than you could do uh, through an email, through elsewhere, or are you just taking what would be on your website or an email and putting it on a postcard? That, that's not a good use of print. Uh, are they focused on the student and what they need, what's relevant to them, or is it focused on what action you want them to take, like a visit? You know, that's not the best use of print. Um, I would really recommend doing an experiment. So dividing your pool of inquiries, and this is a this is a very simple version, but divide your pool of inquiries or prospects into groups and send them your normal comm flow versus one without print. And that's a very easy way to test the effect of print. Um, you know, whether you want to do a 50-50 split, 75-25, whatever works for you. Um, I did a more complicated one where I had a control group of not sending anything, um, sending the full comm flow, sending um, just the non-print, and then sending only print. So you can do you can do much more complicated versions like that, but very easy one is just splitting it in half, one with print, one without print. And that'll tell you exactly if your print specifically is valuable enough to be driving conversions. Uh, and you may see that it is, you may see that it isn't. Um, I, there, there was a lot of variation and the quality of the print materials. Uh, this is a quote from one of the junior survey respondents. Uh, they said they like seeing pictures of the college campus. They really appreciate the handwritten notes from current students. It just makes them feel like they genuinely want to be there. So again, print plays better for these types of things. You can't do handwritten emails. So that's something that can only be done that way. That's high value. Um, providing the, the full color layouts really showing a way of immersing the student in the college with print. Great, great use. All right, what are the best practices for frequency of emails to students and to parents? Uh, this question came in from multiple people as well, from Dave, Michelle, and Stacy. thank you. Um, a little bit of a soapbox here. I abhor the idea of best practices. Uh, I think there's promising practices, but so much depends on what you send and when. I don't think there is a best practice, everyone should do this type of thing. Um, okay, off the soapbox there. Uh, we know students have said they don't want weekly emails. And for juniors, even the every other week really felt too much uh, because there just wasn't enough relevant being said. Uh, so I would say experiment and find out. Every other week might be really good if, for you if it is highly relevant, if it is engaging, if it's inviting a two-way conversation, um, you know, if it's doing things like sharing proof points, sharing student stories, uh, providing quizzes and other engagement tools, um, but really emailing every 12 days, encouraging a visit, I would call that a terrible practice. Uh, and yet that happened a lot. Um, from the parent surveys, we know that they want included, they want engaged. Uh, there just wasn't a lot of it in this. Um, a lot of what the parent touch points really consisted of were these generic newsletters, uh, a copy of the email that was sent to the student complete with being addressed to David, even though the parent name was included in the inquiry form. Um, you know, I'll give a shout out here to, to Kent State. Uh, they knocked it out of the park with related to, to parent outreach. They tweaked the emails so that it was the same type of information, but slanted and customized for parents. Um, you know, here we go. Uh, this was a really interesting question from Logan. Um, it's a little bit outside of, of the secret shopping, but I, I thought it was an interesting one. What do you think students would do instead of going to college? And what do you think are the drawbacks of going to college? Um, you know, I think the obvious one, they would go to the job market or try their hand at coding camps, things like that, if those are available in their area. Uh, I think the downside of going straight to the job market though would be, it's a short-term gain and a long-term risk. You know, when I drive by around here, fast food restaurants offering $17 an hour plus benefits, uh, that equates to more than I was making starting out in admissions. Uh, you know, it's definitely a draw to students uh, who typically 
don't have a lot to begin with. Um, you know, it doesn't require two or four years of their time and money invested in college. Um, but I think the risk is the drawback to going to college. Uh, you know, there's no guarantee of success in or after college. Uh, it's a, the biggest investment that the students will make to this point in their life. So, yeah, I think, I don't know if I'd call them drawbacks. I would call them risks. But, okay, we had quite a few questions come in. Uh, I'll go through these. Uh, just a reminder, though, you'll get the recording in the email tomorrow, uh, as well as some additional resources. Uh, the slides will be available on the blog with the recording as well. If you haven't seen the full results, uh, you can see all of those here, either at the link or the QR code. Uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me in my email. Um, just thank you to everyone for attending today. All right. Uh, Chris asks, how do you know students don't care about campus dining? Uh, that was a survey we did back in January uh, on what students were interested in in terms of high school visits, campus visits, college fairs. Um, and one of the things they were least interested in was um, was eating on campus. Uh, that was that was an interesting one because it is so often touted uh, as why you should visit. And yet students, it just doesn't really matter to them. Um, let's see. Sarah, talking about, can you explain how you came up with the 40-40-20, particularly with 20% for process? Um, in a previous webinar, you reviewed survey results of junior communications. One of the top things they said they're interested in was hearing about the college admissions process. There's a very different thing. So, so the three Ps uh, are talking about the purpose of the email. So process-driven emails are ones that their entire goal is getting the student to take an action, whether that's visit, apply, fill out a form, whatever. Um, they do want to hear about the admissions process. Now, you do that through either some videos, you do that through highly relevant content saying, here is exactly what we're looking for. Uh, here is how we review your application. Here's how you can put your best foot forward. To me, that falls under the personalized and relevant umbrella because you're speaking about process, but the goal of the, of, the, um, of the email, the print piece, whatever, is to educate and to help provide information that is the right message at the right time. It's not just telling them visit today, apply today. It's instead talking about here's how you can be the best applicant that you can be. Um, so yeah, great question. With the 40-40-20, you know, for juniors, they need to know who you are, they need to know that you fit their goals, um, but they, there's not a lot of actions they can take. Uh, they can visit, that's about it. Uh, you know, that doesn't need to be half of everything they hear about. Um, so cutting back on that. Now, once they become a senior, that mix is going to change. There's more processes they can take because they can apply. They can add you to their FAFSA. You know, there's all sorts of things there. Once they've applied, that mix changes again. You know, the the mix there of your of your comflow is going to fluctuate as they move through the cycle. Um, but especially up front, they need the promotion. They need the personalized and relevant content. They don't need a lot of the process yet. They need to know the why and they need to be excited. Uh, but that's that's the big ones there. Um, yep, you'll begin an email with the full presentation, uh, the podcast version, everything there. So uh, what would be the best way to contact students? Um, from Amanda here, emails are what's sent most. Uh, how can I be different in communicating? Uh, yeah, I mean, the best way to contact them, they say what's most relevant is print and email, but doing things that stand out. So instead of having big blocks of text that they have to read, you know, there was a great uh, podcast episode I, I did recently with Teresa Valerio Parrott, uh, where she talked about the 400 word rule. If you can't, if you can't have your email be 400 words or less, it's too long. You need to edit it. It needs to get to the point quickly. You need to put your thesis at the beginning as well. So providing them what matters most to them upfront in that email and making sure it speaks to what's most important to them. So if it is someone that's interested in the choir, lead with that, and then frame it, uh, frame, frame other pieces you want to talk to around that. So for example, uh, you know, this, um, we're really excited because we have these scholarships available to choir students. Uh, we know it's a little bit harder to work while you're involved in all these extracurriculars, uh, but here's how uh, Sarah did it on her experience. 
So you're tying multiple things into one touch point. You're engaging the student, you're making yourself more memorable. Uh, it's not just saying, we have a band, click this link to learn more. Uh, there's a lot of emails that just did that. Um, you know, you want to get them somewhere else to be more engaging, but you have to excite them and entice them to actually take that action. There has to be value to them to do it. Uh, Leslie, can you give an example of a student story? Absolutely. Uh, so there was, I gave this example earlier about the two-year college that almost every single email they sent was essentially in a student's voice talking about an experience. Either that was, you know, I wasn't sure I was going to be accepted to college, but here's how I went through the application process. My, uh, my advisor aided me along the way. They helped me navigate the financial aid process. Now I'm here and my advisors help me. Uh, you know, there's things like that. Uh, it could be if a student is interested in accounting. You know, you could tie in, hi, I'm, I'm Will Patch. I'm a third-year accounting student. And I went through um, my internship this past summer. I felt really well prepared thanks to this faculty member uh, and their classes that while they're really tough, I really stood out in this internship and I have a job offer waiting for me after I graduate. You're tying in multiple pieces with a student story. It's more memorable. It's not generalized. It's tied to a specific student. I think bonus points, if it's a student that is from that student, that uh, from your target audience's area, other interests that tie into what they're interested in, the more, you know, I think of it as stickiness. You know, the more touch points that you have to the student with people on campus, with things they connect to in a print piece and email and a touch point in general, the stickier it is. The harder it is to forget, the harder for it is to move on. Oh. All right. If there's not any last questions here, uh, I want to thank everybody for attending. Uh, about midday Eastern tomorrow, you'll be receiving the follow-up email, all the great information following up. Stay safe. I hope the, uh, the admission cycle is kicking off strong for you.